Hey everyone, welcome to this Theology Corner Minnesota of the Voyage Podcast. I'm your host Mike, and I will be quickly going over an important theological idea that helps us connect to the works of comics, literature, and pop culture that my co-host Jacob and I refer to in our conversations. In this episode, we'll be covering the theological topic of apophaticism. So in this one, we, uh, we're going to, like I said, talk about apophaticism, which is also known as the via negativa, uh, or the negative way. And to understand or what this means is, basically, it's um, you'll, you'll see this term used a lot in theology. Obviously, that's why we're talking about it here. Uh, and it's to understand and speak about God by knowledge of what God is not. Okay, so that's the, the um, and I'll go into the etymology of what apophaticism means, but that's essentially the definition, um, or I, I guess the simplest definition that we're going to use. Some examples of where we actually see this, and it's actually more common than you would realize, um, especially if this is the first time you're hearing this word, but pretty much if you look at a lot of the attributes that, especially Christians, but um, classical theists, when they refer to attributes of God, you'll hear... Different things like immaterial, that God is without a body. So as you can hear just in that what immaterial means, it's negative, it's without a body. Or eternal. Now again, even though on the surface that sounds like it's a positive statement, and I don't mean positive as in like good or happy, but as if it's saying something positive, eternal means not limited by time or outside of time. And so there again, you get that negative kind of definition or description. Same thing when we talk about God being infinite. The word infinite means not limited. And so there again, you have this emphasis on the negative, and again, not negative in terms of bad, but negative in terms of knowledge by negation, knowledge by knowing what isn't there, more so than saying what is there necessarily. And like I said, that's exactly what apophaticism is. So if you look into the word itself, the apo... Uh, it, it, or it comes from Greek, which means apo, away from, and then phanai, which means to speak. And so you get this idea of like speaking away from or speaking, you know, the opposite direction, which you can kind of see in the word itself. That's kind of what it's doing. It's, it's turning its head away from the thing and saying the opposite, sort of. Um, where do we see this? Well, it actually goes back pretty far. It's a pretty ancient concept uh, that precedes Christianity in two different ways. It precedes it in the Old Testament, so it, it precedes Christian revelation. You see this alluded to, not that you see the word apophaticism used in the Old Testament, but with Moses in the book of Exodus. And what's kind of great about this is, I mean, Exodus gives us so much of what philosophy, Christian theology, Christian, philo- Christian philosophy has helped us in terms of understanding God. Um, not only in terms of you know God's essence and existence, but here too we get some allusions to apophaticism. You get in the Old Testament, you have um, with Moses and the book of Exodus, Exodus 33, verses 17 through 23. There's this, um, and, and Moses has been having this conversation with God 
for, for so much of the book of Exodus. But in this specific place, um, God talks about how he's not going to see his face. He's going to see his back as he passes by. And this has been interpreted for, for a long time. A lot of um, Christian history, Christian tradition, has seen this as a reference to apophaticism um, for this reason that, it, again, it's, it's seen the back or the away from and not seen the direct uh, contact with God or, or the face of God is the image that's used. You see another similar idea, or at, least, at least an allusion to apophaticism in with the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, you get the very classic, and it's, it's quoted a lot, but the, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And so there again, this will be fleshed out further um, in a lot of Christian philosophy and theology when talking about the various things that we can claim to know about God and how when we claim to know those things, um, we're actually saying how much less we actually know. Uh, when we're able to make certain statements. And so there again, um, this is a, a reference or an allusion to that idea. Another one that we see then in the New Testament, so St. Paul, uh, after his conversion to Christianity in Acts chapter 17, he's making this appeal to the Athenians. And so one of his kind of famous like Mars Hill sermons but he makes the appeal to the shrine to the unknown God. And so not only do we see sort of a Christian reference because it's St. Paul making it, but then he's a, he's alluding to the Greek philosophy, the pagan philosophy, that they had some sense of this as well because that's what he's trying to, he's trying to appeal to something that they are already familiar with or a concept that they are already, that they can kind of grasp. And that actually leads into the other kind of pre-Christian example that I wanted to refer to, which you see um, some of this talked about in Plato. And um, there's, I think the, the best reference to this, at least, is there's kind of this sort of apophaticism in Socrates. So in the dialogues of Plato, you have Socrates uh, you know, going through all this different philosophy and, and bringing out these sorts of ideas. But the classic one is that he's the only or he's the wisest person because he knows that he's not wise whereas everybody else is not wise but they don't know that they're not and so there again it's this sort of like knowing by unknowing sort of thing um which obviously is just good humility it's good humble philosophy to kind of start and then try to learn and investigate and know more and that's of course what socrates does uh you know or, or maybe he's doing it ironically or whatever, but that's at least what he is doing in the dialogues themselves is going from this point of, well, I know that I don't know, or I know what I don't know, and then I can start from there. And this is exactly what you see in, again, Christian philosophy, philosophy in general, is trying to have that starting point of, well, at least we can know what we don't know, or we know what we can know, and then how can we kind of keep pushing ourselves further in terms of understanding or peeling back the layers or whatever the case may be. So moving into Christian history, you see this idea, you know, played out a lot as well. Um, probably again, a kind of classic quotation or classic line from Christian antiquity is St. Augustine, where in one of his sermons, Sermon 117, he, he gives this line of, if you can comprehend it, then it's not God. And so there again, that's classic apophaticism of, you know, if you're going to 
kind of claim to have this comprehensive knowledge in terms of all all encompassing or all around, then the thing that you're comprehending is not God because God is not fully comprehensible, right? And again, you're by even saying that you are saying something about the nature of God and incomprehensible, not comprehensible. Um, or comprehensible, excuse me, that again, that's an apophatic or a negative statement. But you can know that thing based on, you know, what we know about the nature of God and, and all the other kind of divine attributes that philosophy and theology has, has come to recognize. Another example comes from um, the church father, Pseudo-Dionysus, who probably is the most well-known in terms of this idea or where you see it a lot. Uh, but it's it's because it's one of the primary themes of his theology. But the significant thing, at least here, because I know I'm brushing over it very quickly, which I'm already going to go long, I think, on this one, just because there's so many different examples and so, so many things to talk about. But uh, he was a huge inspiration, too, and he's quoted numerous times by St. Thomas Aquinas. And so when we're thinking Christian philosophy, Christian theology, St. Thomas Aquinas... Not only was he the great synthesizer of faith and reason, but he was the great synthesizer of the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, pagan philosophy, how that could be incorporated into Christian philosophy and Christian theology, but then also the church fathers. And so he quoted from St. Augustine numerous times, John Damascene, um, so Eastern and Western fathers, and then Pseudo-Dionysus. And the two uh, examples from Aquinas that I want to bring out, because, like I said, you know, there's so many examples from everybody that could be drawn on, but for just this one episode. So we get hit from his uh, Summa Theologiae, Question 12, Article 12, which is talking about what we can know about God or how the ways of knowing God. And um, basically, he comes to this conclusion that we cannot know God's essence in this life. So, again, that's, that's uh, something very different from knowing just whether or not God exists. And when we say, you know, we cannot know God's essence in this life, that obviously assumes a, a level of knowledge that somebody would, would achieve in the next life or in heaven, which the church has always called the beatific vision, and beatific referring to blessedness, so of the blessed. And then the vision component has this connection to knowledge as well. Um, then the other reference that Aquinas has is from his other uh, book called the Summa, or not other as if it's the only one, but his his other very prominent and influential book called the Summa Contra Gentiles, which is book one, which is f all devoted to God. And, and his Summa Contra Gentiles is actually probably the more philosophical of the two, which again, the other one's called the Summa Theologiae, or Summary of Theology. So this one was written, um, like it says, contra gentiles, directly contrary to those who would have been outside the faith. And so uh, he wrote this as sort of like a training manual for people who were going to evangelize non-Christians. And so it had to be, it couldn't rely as heavily on, you know, obviously church authorities like the church fathers and things like that, um, and it couldn't rely on scripture as heavily. And so it had to be much more philosophical. And so, um, but in book one, which is totally devoted to existence of God, attributes of God, things like that, uh, in chapter 30, he says, For we are able to grasp not what God is, but what he is not, and the relation of other things to him. 
And so there again, it can say something very, very limited. Um, and I, and that's right at the end of the chapter. So he's, he's just sort of like come to that conclusion, uh, over the course of, of what he had been writing. Which I, I mean, chapters aren't like 20 pages long or anything. I would say it's probably, I don't know, two or three pages, but, uh, but there we have, um, you know, again, it's it's a very formative part of Aquinas' theology when he's writing a more philosophical manual, but then also when he's writing his theological treatises as well. So taking a lot of these examples from, you know, Christian antiquity, from the you know scholastic period with Aquinas, uh, the Catechism has a few things to say about it as well. And so there's a couple of paragraphs right towards the beginning. Uh, the three that I want to highlight are paragraphs 37, paragraph 40, and then paragraph 43. And paragraph 37 from the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, man experiences many difficulties in coming to know God by the light of reason alone. So there again, what's nice about that is that it shows that there are things that can be known by reason alone, and the Church has always held this and, and actually has said definitively that humans can know the existence of God by reason alone. And so it doesn't fall into this idea of what's called fideism, where, you know, you, you just kind of have to like turn your brain off and say, well, God just gives, just kind of like imputes that faith into somebody. No, like we have minds that can reason and it can bring us to a certain point, even if, you know, we will experience difficulties in going further beyond that. Paragraph 40 continues similar sort of idea. Since our knowledge of God is limited, our language about him is equally so. And so this, again, gets into that kind of apophaticism that I've been talking about where the language is going to be limited in terms of what we can say about God. It doesn't mean that it's untrue. That's, you know, saying that the language is limited doesn't mean untrue. It just means it can only go so far in what it says. And all the language that is used by theologians, Christian theologians, Christian philosophers, um, official language of the church, things like that, is limited to the degree that it says what God is not, but doesn't say, you know, comprehensively what God's essence is. We can name God only by taking creatures as our starting point, because that's how we make sense of anything, is we take our experiences, and we are limited, created, finite beings, and so we have uh, limited experiences that we can use to describe other things even essences essences that transcend that limited experience that we have individually or even we collectively have as a species um which again it, in accordance with our limited ways of knowing and thinking so that's kind of the end of paragraph 40 so it just kind of you know reiterates that point uh paragraph 43 then and so this actually quotes the uh, Aquinas reference from the Contra Gentiles, but then before that, it makes a reference to uh, between creator, creator and creature, no similitude can be expressed without implying an even greater dissimilitude. So take that, like that's basically just saying that any comparison, right, when you try to say God is like this or God, um, you know, you're actually implying a greater unlikeness. So to the degree that, you know, and I think Aquinas uses this example of like, we can say that we're intelligent and God's intelligent, but that comparison, you know, or that analogy implies a greater dissimilarity between our intelligence and God's intelligence 
then it might be a similarity in the fact that you can both say that that it's technically speaking intelligence um and there's you know and and that whole like standards of being that aquinas makes in his fourth way for god's existence um i think is pretty significant it says quite a bit about not only god's existence but god's nature uh but like i said that's a different episode different uh conversation so now that we've kind of gone into the definition and the background right from the theological background what does this have to our conversation with or my conversation with jacob um you know when we're talking about batman because that's kind of the that's kind of where this episode came up and and hopefully you're listening to this in between uh the different conversations or parts that jacob and i have been having talking about batman because uh, we, we talk about apophaticism and sort of the the unknowing right because that's one of the big things about you know batman is always or so much about the batman lore batman comics is shrouded in mystery and uh so he he's all about darkness right he has to kind of embrace this this darkness um going back to you know the whether it's the moral darkness that he kind of experiences in childhood which comic books and visual mediums do a nice job of of making that very you know right in front of you right and you know the whole you have the whole idea of the darkness of the cave or the bat cave and and how he experiences all of that and then that sort of becomes so much of his not only his um aesthetic right wearing the black and and all that stuff but then it's how he operates you know he's always operating in the dark in terms of when he has to spy on or catch criminals or that sort of thing and so this metaphor it's concretized in the way that he operates um it's part of his investigative work not only in terms of like oh he's he's watching somebody from the dark so they don't see him but he has to understand the darkness of the criminals that he's pursuing and that you know you get that so much in whether it's kind of like his uh like if if, if they're kind of showing like if he's got like a soliloquy or something that he's taught or his voiceover in the background. Um, but you definitely see how he has to like understand the darkness that is consuming the villains, the bad guys before he can successfully kind of beat them or whatever. And, um, that's actually what makes, you know, because if that's so much about Batman's modus operandi, that's what makes the Joker, the ultimate villain for Batman is precisely because he can't understand him like he can understand all the other bad guys. And so he can't penetrate that type of darkness, the type of darkness that the Joker is, you know, manifesting or whatever. He can't get into it, and so he can't see around it. He can't enter into it. And so it, that's what makes the Joker so formidable. But uh so there again, that's that's where you can kind of see this image played out or how it connects. Um it's verbalized actually not in the Dark Knight um, Christopher Nolan movie with the Joker, you actually see it with Bane um, when he talks about how you know he only adopted the darkness, but Bane was was born in it or whatever. And so you get that that darkness idea played out, especially in that bad guy, um, you know, in the conversations that well Bruce Wayne slash Batman kind of have with Bane. You also see a similar sense of not again not that you're gonna hear any characters use the word apophaticism, but. Uh, you get a similar sense of mystery, a mystery that somebody has to just enter into, 
can't fully describe and none of the characters in this next example even try to describe it uh, but in the lord of the rings series you get the sense of the mysteries of providence the mystery of evil right a mystery of, of iniquity that these characters you know frodo asks like what the big overarching plan is and it's not it's not something that he can articulate or even understand comprehensively he can only see little bits and pieces of it and he can only describe it in a very limited way or gandalf can only describe it in a very limited way and it's the same thing when you have um certain characters who have to like experience or enter into the the mystery of evil right whether it's um the discussions about orcs that you know people have been having with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings for ever since they've come out or the conversations people have been having about the ring itself and how it's this, you know, this evil that, you know, that you can't fully, you can't try to control it because once you try to control it, it controls you as we see with so many characters throughout that series. And so there again, it's this, uh, and not exactly, but the same sort of apophaticism, um, mystery, that's present in there in terms of book recommendations. Cause I always like to give book recommendations to go into the topic further, not just the um, brief descriptions that I try to give. Honestly, it would just be to go back into that whole section on the catechism. So if you remember, I mentioned paragraphs 37, 40 and 43, those are parts of a much bigger whole um, talking about just coming to know God. And so, yeah, just that, that whole section of the catechism. And then, Again, book one of the Summa Contra Gentiles. So I only gave you a very, very brief sketch of one chapter of the book, which, again, is much longer and goes into a lot more stuff. And so those would kind of be the main ones that I would say. Not that he spends the entire book talking about apophaticism, but it's one of those things where it, it's more to see it in practice, you understand the concept better. So when you see theologians who are using that sort of language then you you get the concept more so it's like through the examples so anyway that's yeah that's uh apophaticism it's the you know what do we what can we know about god by saying what we don't know or how can we understand god better by knowing what we don't know sort of and uh hopefully that you know you can kind of see the connections of batman and help you with our the conversation jacob and i have been having overall about batman um as you can tell he's he's pretty enthusiastic too talk about it and and yeah we always enjoy that conversation and so hopefully this will help you as you're listening to that conversation it'll kind of fill in some of the things that you know if we're already going to have a 40 minute to an hour long conversation about the topic itself we can't go off into this 20 minute rabbit trail which is kind of what this is supposed to be uh yeah so just like this mini-sode, the Voyage Podcast overall is a production of Voyage Comics. Voyage Comics seeks to create an exceptional entertainment informed by Catholic values that inspires people to live a heroic life, seek to advance truth, beauty, and goodness found in powerful stories. Uh, you can become a member and support Voyage Comics by going to voyagecomics.com slash join. <laughs>